Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Hello, and welcome to Recovery Talks. I'm Leah Wetzel, Montana's Peer Network's recovery coach, certified behavioral health peer support specialist. Today is really dedicated to some of the work I do with the 8th Judicial uh, Veterans Court within the indigenous dynamics. Um, And we have a very special guest here with us today, um, Martin Sankador. And I am very blessed to have uh, met this gentleman throughout life, to have him in my life, and to also be very honored to be able to work with him within our contract with the 8th Judicial Veterans Court. Martin, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Martin, Martin John Sankador. I'm from the Blackfeet tribe. And uh, my grandma once told me that my my Blackfeet name is Booksabixi, which means Birdman. Just like to, you know, just just proud, very proud to be here. I'm glad that I'm here just at this time, uh, after all addiction that I've been through and where it led me to now. And I was glad that, you know, I'm able to actually be on this, this journey right now to want to get out and just kind of spread the news to people that, that see me now compared to how I used to be. And just, just, just want them to know that recovery really is possible if you want it. And maybe, uh, maybe I could be more of a, more of an uh, example because the people that I used to associate with, I do know a few of them that that were in the talks of wanting to sober up and you know live a better life. But the community that I was in, every majority of the people used hard drugs and alcohol, and they would kind of outcast them and shun them, and they were didn't want that to happen. So I noticed they just keep going and going, but. I once I once heard multiple people saying they wanted a better life, and they were just more more or less just just could I put it just clueless on how to even go about doing that. And all most of the time, when somebody does find recovery, it's because they got locked up or they've lost everything they had, and witnessing that time after time. And and myself also going through that experience, I just I just kind of would want people, you know, to catch people before that actually happens to them because this ain't no place for somebody that you know once used to have a decent life and you know they just went off drugs and alcohol, took them on a different road, and then just kind of you know want let, let people know that you know let, let them know that you know before it gets too late, you know recovery is possible. I mean. They, they just don't know where to reach out and maybe maybe I could help them, you know, let them know that there's actually a lot of people, more people than I thought. I mean, it's kind of like when you're in that, that lifestyle, you just, 
you just don't know where where they're at. Like they're hiding, you know, but they're really not. It's just that you're not in that world. I just like to say, you know, from Blackfeet tribe, my family was mainly uh they come from like a ranching family, uh out there in the Badger Creek area between Browning and Hartbeal. I kind of I grew up in Browning myself, the community. And well, my dad he moved to uh Browning when he was at the age of 18. And then he 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 got a hold of me when I was about about 13 months old, he said. I witnessed him just with the alcoholic lifestyle. He never was a user of any other drug. He was just uh just a hard, hard alcoholic. And I would, you know, I was him, I would it was uh coming up, I guess you could say it was the norm to just to be alcoholic, drinking was part of everything. I mean, there was social, there was the social drinkers that would work, you know, and, and then their Fridays, they'd drink all, all Friday. And then that's just what I witnessed growing up, basically born into that lifestyle of witnessing alcoholics as it was coming up. And myself, I I started out at a young age because of the 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 peers I was around, which were my older cousins, they were, I was the youngest out of the crowd and I just kind of grew up around older people, which kind of made me mentally think I was older, which I really wasn't. And I was, you know, eventually peer pressured into marijuana and that just, you know, I guess you could say eventually turned into alcohol. And I started at a young age, about the age of 12. And, you know, I was, at a young age, so I was still healthy, and I was able to do the drinking at night and then sober up. I'd go to school, and it just eventually snowballed into harder drugs. It was crank back then in my community, and then you know meth came along and turned it. Then crank got pushed out of the out of the picture, and it was just all it was just meth, and then I was a functioning drug addict slash alcoholic. And that just slowly, you know, snowballed into the, how could I put it, where I was just basically all about the life of, uh, of an addict, just drinking and drugging. And, you know, I, I had a lot of dreams. I, I had a lot of hopes that I wanted to do, but it just never got around to it. But, you know, I, I'm a single father. Um, I got my three sons, age 14. Uh, 13, and uh, I got my five-year-old, and I uh, served in the um, Montana Army National Guard from the years of 2005 to 2008. Uh, 19 kilo, which was a tank driver, tank uh, tank crewman. And right now, you know, I'm I'm, I'm very early in recovery, and it's just it's getting better. I'd like to say daily, but it's really not. For me, it's more of a, like a weekly deal because my mental status is the same all the time. But eventually I'll catch myself just applying the stuff I, I was uh, I was subjected to early in this um, eighth judicial treatment court, which was an IOP. I call it IOP. It's a intense outpatient treatment. We did that for, what was it, Monday, 
Wednesday and a Friday of every week from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. And they did that for 15 weeks. And we just did a lot of a lot of packet stuff. And I applied a lot of that stuff to, to my daily life. There's, I just really, I just, I don't know, it was just, I just got into it, which was, which I'm glad I did because I even tried to help out the kids' mom, which was, she was still very, uh, still, she's still currently using. And, but she was still, she, she tried it. She gave it a shot. I was trying to, I'd get off class and then I would go, go to my apartment and I would try to, you know, instill some of the stuff that I learned that day to her to try to help her convince her, you know, process over into recovery, uh, which was unsuccessful. But, you know, there'll be, there'll, there'll be a time and day when, when she's ready. She's just not ready right now. So in a way, you were already implementing some of the peer support work that you were learning within your own relationships, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. And I just want to acknowledge that since you started coming to the Warrior Down Healing Circle, what, close to a year ago, I've seen a huge change uh, in the positive in you. And it's really inspiring to see a young Indigenous man, you know, taking the role of being a single father and doing all the work that you're doing within yourself. And you talked a little bit about, you know, where you come from and, um, you know, growing up within that lifestyle. So when, so you were 13 when you, or 12 when you started using so how was it that you ended up getting into um, the service and then into what ended you up from there to the veterans court? Uh, yeah, um, well, when, when I was about the age of 15, uh, that was 99 and 2000 New Year's. I I committed a crime of uh, it was because of alcohol. We were at my, at a friend's house. We 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 drank hard alcohol, and uh, I ended up going into a blackout stage. And I ended up uh, assaulting another individual uh, with a with a knife, and um, it went federal because it's on a reservation. And like three years later. Uh, just, yeah, about two, about two and a half years later, I um, got served with a federal summons court for a court summons, and they um, indicted me for the assault charge. That's so I was at the age of 17, and then they sentenced me to, because of my, my, um, my alcohol problem and my um, meth problem, they, they um, sent me to a, they called it Swan Valley Youth Academy, which is over in the Swan Range, over by Big Fork area. It's on the um, west side of the mountains, and I was I was there for eight months. It was um, basically a lockdown juvenile treatment center slash military structured center for you no know, uh, for adolescents, I guess. 
it's a 12 step program. And I, I was in there for eight months and then I graduated from that place in 03, 2003. And then I volunteered for the, um, the Montana Youth Challenge. So after completion of uh, the first program, the Swan Valley Youth Academy, I went over from there to the Montana Youth Challenge of January of 04. And then in 05, I completed that program with the GED. But while I was there, I, uh, I enlisted in the National Guard. I was still under federal probation, I guess. And it was, it was, um, it was kind of a, uh, not crazy, but it was kind of in a way, the way it all happened because uh, my middle school PE teacher's name was Todd Carver. And he was no longer working at the, um, the Browning Middle School. He, he became an army recruiter and he was there in, at the Butte MEP station. And he, uh, he remembered me. So I told him my situation and uh, with the youth challenge and everything. And he was glad I was signing up. He, he, he was a teacher there, PE teacher in Browning there for quite a, quite a few years. So he was glad that it was somebody from Browning that was actually wanting to join the military. So he went out of his way as much as he could. And um, he, he, he got a hold of, he said, just this, this leave it to me. I'll do my best. I'll do what I can. I'll talk to people to get you actually, uh, to get you to enlist. And sure enough, um, uh, the judge at the time was Judge Sam Haddon, and uh, he agreed to release me from federal system uh, at that age as a, a minor, uh, expunge my record all up until the date that I, I flew to Fort, Medi Fort Benning, Georgia, which was July of 2003, to, uh, to uh, start basic training. Then from there, I really... Kind of, I, I relapsed uh, after basic training, got back to Browning, and um, I was doing fine there for a while. But I think it was just the, uh, the group of people I was associated with, still kind of young and wild, and I'm out of there kind of even a little bit wilder. And it was just, you know, relapsed for quite a few years, alcohol, meth. And then this time went on. I was, I was 18 back then. And I uh, had two children. And I had one in 07, the first boy. And the uh, next one is in uh, 08. And then this guy was, the five-year-old was born in uh, 2016. So how long did you end up being in the service for? Oh, yeah. Um. Well, see, that, that's one part, too, was because of where I was at. Uh, I was in there from 2005. I was doing my monthly drills down in, down here in Great Falls. And I separated from the National Guard in uh, August of 2008. I see. And so talking about, you know, growing up with your dad, you ended up Obviously, your parents were separated, and then your dad got you when you got a little older. So what what kind of work did your dad do, and how did how did that how did that inspire you? Uh, I remember, let's see, 
I did, I, when I was very young, I kind of I bounced around uh, from within my family because of my dad's heavy drinking. Uh, my aunties mainly, they just kind of, as I got older, I kind of realized they must have just, you know, and basically got tired of me for, you know, for a certain time. And then one auntie would take me, the next auntie would take me, and my grandma would jump in on it. I'm very grateful for that, but I was I was young. I was under the age of ten during that during all of that. Then, uh, my dad he really didn't really work. He did every now and then when he would sober up. I mean, I think it was mainly just spot jobs, a lot of a lot of ranch hand work, and he he mainly just he just he just drank a lot. And then I, up until about the age of ten, actually one night. And with my younger sister, she's three years younger than me. She she did she's deceased now. She she died in a, of July of 2020 because of, of cirrhosis from drinking. But back when uh, we were young, uh, my dad never really worked up until the age of ten, and that's where I get a lot of my inspiration now. Is because when 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 the, our life really changed was when I was around ten years old. Well, this happened. The event happened when when we were about. I was nine. My sister would have been seven. I don't know six or seven. Him and my stepmom uh, were drinking, and me and my sister were in the other room. We were in the room put to sleep, and then they, they got done partying. My dad uh, happened to pass out with a cigarette on a mattress. There was no flame, but the mattress was smoldering. All of the um, insides of the mattress smoldered to where the whole uh, the whole duplex, our, our duplex filled up with smoke and it took like a neighbor to come, you know, basically kick the door down, wake my dad up. Fire department showed up. Fire department actually got us out because we were all still sleeping. So we were, we would have probably succumbed to the smoke, but we all got out of there. Uh, and me and my younger sister were taken to um, this place in Browning called a nurturing center. And we were put in there for, I believe it was a total of 43 days. And uh, well, now now I know my dad and my uh, my stepmom weren't allowed to get custody of us until they, they completed um, inpatient treatment. So that was a big part of the 43 days. And I believe uh, after inpatient treatment, he, I think he got like a week or two of outpatient treatment. So that I think that's what led up to the 43 days because after that 43 days, my dad just showed up because uh, we we were both we were both you know confused on what was going on there because we were there and we didn't know how long we were gonna be there, why we couldn't leave, why our dad and mom never came to see us. My sister would cry every night. They separated girls from the boys, and I hear my sister crying because she's down there all by herself and she's not used to that. So I would sneak down there. Then one of the uh, the workers would do their rounds, and then they would see that I'd be in there laying by my sister, and then they would make me go back to the boys' side, and I hear her crying every night. So I'd sneak down there. So it got to the point to where they would stick one of the workers in the middle of the hallways that separated the boys and the girls' side to prevent me from going down there to sleep by my sister. And we was there for forty-three days, and. Uh, my dad eventually, he, that's what straightened him up. This is where my, a lot of my inspiration came from. 
And um, he straightened up. He came and they, he got the salt. He did the court requirements. And he ran for uh, Blackfeet Tribal Council. I was about the age of 10, and he was elected. And um, he did that for the next 10 years of his life, sober. I never, I never really seen him hit the AA scene, although he did, but he didn't really tell me. But he kind of did it to where he used a lot of religious, religious stuff. He was always praying, had a Bible, was attending churches. It seemed like he did it all on his own, his own way. But he, he did it. He's still he's still sober to this day, which uh, I believe he said is 30, 30 some years so sober. Wow. And he he, he did that. Uh, that was his line of work from when I was age ten all up until I believe he did he he, he did the tribal uh, council deal for for like ten years. Wow, that's really cool and. Also, for our listeners, last year, within the work I do with the missing, murdered Indigenous people, um, I'm on the North Central Montana task force of that. Martin was one of the participants that came up. Uh, we did an event called the We the People event in Cutbank uh, to support the search of baby Arden and Leo Gallagher. And Martin came up and shared his life story there at that event that day and his dad was there supporting him and it was really cool uh, to watch and um and so martin and his his dad have always had a really and his family have always really had a special place in my heart and we later found out uh, we're related too so that's pretty cool and so getting into so you got your boys back You've got your own place, you're working, and you're in, what phase are you in within Veterans Court? Uh, as of now, it's um, April 2nd. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm in, currently in phase four, but I'll, I'll, I'll phase up to the fifth phase on the 11th of uh, April 2022. Nice, and that's coming up quick. And Yeah. And I know that uh, you spoke a lot about uh, your goals and aspirations and also within the program of the 8th Judicial Veterans Court, he, each individual has to do a community outreach project. And Martin, do you want to talk a little bit about your outreach project that you do before you graduate? Well, my outreach project is, it's going to, I'm going to do this documentary on, on myself, my my, my journey to before recovery and, and, and during recovery. And, and it, I just, I just kind of really want to put it out there to uh, this younger generation because I kind of want to get all of them before, before they, um, they, before they succumb to this lifestyle of, you know, addiction, regardless of the drug, because it's all different forms of drugs. But yeah, I just want to—I just want to kind of want to get the word out there to where it's, it's not worth it, and there's only going to be two outcomes of it. You know, it's—it's it's death or jail, and it's just—you know—it's just really not worth it at all. So you're just going to lose everything. You, you, if you do have something, you know, it'll, you'll eventually lose it. Your freedom, just everything's going to be lost to to addiction lifestyle. 
Definitely. And with us coming uh, from the same tribe, the Blackfeet tribe, you know, knowing the realities of our reservation and knowing the realities of um, our indigenous people, definitely our youth are the ones that need that awareness and that support. And seeing how peer support has affected you in a positive way, having somebody that's been through it like you, been through, you know, growing up on the reservation, been through living within alcoholism and addiction, and, you know, being a veteran, going through the system, um, you would be a great voice for them to hear. And, you know, starting more programs and getting more resources for our tribal areas, I think is really key because you said it earlier within even your dad's recovery, your recovery, you know, it's, it's a definitely a factor within the reservations that we don't have many resources up there. Yeah. I'd also, I'd also like to, uh, before I forget, uh, I, I kind of want to do this, this community outreach project the documentary I want to do is I also want to kind of I kind of want to get out there to um, people that are still you know early in their recovery but still got that thought behind them that you know they're just they're just doing what they got to do now to get the court off their backs so they can start using it again about I want to get out to a message to them about um, the the mental the mental abuse that, it, that it's given to their kids you know that you know that, that it's just Try to get a hold of them now, get the word to them now while they're clean and sober. That, you know, even that they're, they're doing, you know, like what you're doing to your children mentally and that they're going to live with it for the rest of their lives the way, the way I did, the way we all did. Definitely. And that's an important message. And as we both know that a lot of once you're in recovery, a lot of it is, and you say this all the time, a mental game. It's more or less keeping our mental state better, of course, our physical, our spiritual, and our emotional. But you've been a big product of what happens in recovery. Yes. I just want to, you know, acknowledge again that you're a big inspiration within not only your program, but for your people and, and for your family. And I just think it's really amazing the work that you're doing. And again, I thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yes, thank you. And for our listeners, you know, keep an eye out for Martin Sankador. He's definitely a rising star within our Indigenous recovery community, within our recovery community altogether. Um, and so, again, thank you for being here tonight. And for our listeners, if you, we hope you like something that you heard tonight. If you have any input, how we could do anything better or some ideas, please reach out. Catch, up, catch us on our website. Um, you can email me, Leah, at mtpeernetwork.org. And uh, if you'd like to be a guest, you know, reach out. So thank you, Martin. Yes, thank you. Have a good night, everybody. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works, recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. <laughs>
recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery.